As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 14. Let me say a word about uh, safety here on campus as you're turning to Luke chapter 14. Uh, Every week we do have a lot of measures that are already in place to try to keep this campus as safe as possible. Uh, The check-in, check-out procedures that we have with your kids. Uh, There's some cameras around the campus. We have a safety team uh, that we try to work with in order to try to uh, evaluate different measures for safety here at the campus. Whenever people volunteer to serve in various capacities, we'll often do background checks. We have a ministry training uh, process that we put people in to help them be aware of what some of the things they need to look for are. And you may have noticed that uh, we have begun a new uh, security aspect this week. We have a police officer that's going to be here on campus during the services. That was something that a lot of the younger families said that they would really appreciate. We also talked to our safety team and they felt like that was a good idea. You know, it's not just things like what you may hear about on the news, but there's also a lot of other other things that go along uh, with having four or five hundred people in a, in a gathering each week, uh, including uh, medical situations. Last week we had a guy that had to be rushed to the hospital. Praise God, it turned out it was just a, a gallbladder situation, but you just never know what, what might come up. And so we're thankful to have some of our Murphy police officers that will be here on Sundays. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to get to know them. Offer Texas hospitality to them and get to know their names and get to know the officers in the community. I find that if you know the officers, it always goes a lot better for you the next time you go to jail. So uh, get to know them a little bit and, uh, you know, form a friendship with them and try to help them be welcomed here. Today, uh, Officer Case is on campus, and so uh, make sure that she feels welcomed while she's serving here at the church. Well, we're going to be in verses 15 through 24 in Luke chapter 14. My house is currently under an invasion. We are invaded by a 22-month-old young man by the name of Camden. And that little guy, I tell you, he is into absolutely everything. I mean, he's a climber. None of my others have been climbers. This guy is a climber, and you turn your back on him, and he's liable to be on top of the table dancing. I mean, you just never know what he might get into. And he's learning to talk. And he has already learned the two most powerful words in the English language. Yes, which we hear occasionally, and no, which we hear a lot. He's already mastered both of those two words. If you think about it, life becomes defined by those things that you say yes to and to those things to which you say no. Education, career. Family, marriage, finances, in many ways your personal health, they all hinge upon what you say yes to and what you say no to, your yes and no choices. Now last week we left off with Jesus at a meal. He was eating at one of the Pharisees' houses and he was talking about humility talking about what true leadership is all about. And towards the end of the meal, he mentioned something that got everybody's attention. So look at verse 14. Jesus says, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now those words, resurrection of the righteous, 
would have gotten everybody's attention in the room because he was immediately tapping in to their hope. We as human beings desperately need hope. And we often look forward to things in the future because they bring us hope. For example, a lot of you in the room today are cowboy fans, right? And you have been enduring an up and down season thus far. We're five and three, but it's been a tough road. Yet we look forward to the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl is our day of hope when no doubt silver and blue will be gracing the field and all of our hopes will be fulfilled there at the Super Bowl. And so when Jesus talks about the resurrection of the righteous, everybody in his audience immediately began to pay attention because it brought them hope. They lived in a day where they were under Roman oppression. The Romans were taking much of their money. They did not have much freedom. They worked very, very hard, and they had a lot of difficulty in life, but they knew that at the day of the resurrection of the righteous, it would all be worth it. Life would be good. And they also believed that because they were children of Abraham, because they were Jewish by descent, that they were guaranteed to be present at the resurrection of the righteous because they were chosen for that day and they assumed that they would definitely be in attendance when that day came. Well, the story continues in verse 15. Look with me there in your Bibles if you have them today. Uh, Jesus, uh, the scriptures say, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. And then he told him, he's Jesus here, he told him, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. So here's the scene that Jesus is setting up with this parable. A man is going to throw a large banquet. And so, He goes down to Hobby Lobby, and he buys a bunch of invitations, and he bedazzles them, and then he sends them out to all of his friends, and he invites them all to come to his banquet, and many of them RSVP, and they say, we're going to be there. You can count on us. Uh, uh, We're looking forward to it. Wouldn't miss it for the world. Now, you need to understand that Jesus is telling a parable here, and so this banquet that he is talking about here represents the kingdom of God. It is a uh, response to this question about, to this statement about the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. And so the banquet in the parable is representing the kingdom of God, and he is inviting people to the banquet. Now, if you've ever smoked meat, if you've ever made a brisket, you know one of the difficult things about smoking a brisket is knowing when it will be done. So if your spouse says, hey, I'm going to invite a bunch of people over tomorrow night at five o'clock, can you have a brisket for them? That fills you with a little bit of fear because that brisket may take seven hours. It may take 10 hours. Sometimes it takes 12 hours. I mean, you can't rush perfection, right? You just got to take it. It'll be done when it's done. So in ancient times, when they were going to have a banquet, it required a lot of work and a lot of cooking 
and you didn't know exactly when the meal would be ready. So you would tell people there's going to be a meal on this particular day. It would usually be at night, and you would tell them, be ready. And when it's time for the meal, I'll send out one of the servants, and they'll go around the village, and they will tell everybody that supper's ready, and then you can come on down to the house, and we'll enjoy the banquet. Now remember, the banquet represents what? The kingdom of God. It represents following Christ, being saved. It represents those things that are eternal. Jesus, the Lord, is hosting a banquet, and He is inviting people to come. So the story continues, verse 18. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married. And therefore, I am unable to come. Now, everyone had said that they were coming. They knew that the banquet was going to be on this evening, that it was an important event. But when the time came for them to come to the banquet, they all had an excuse. Now, they were good excuses. First one says, well, I I, I, bought a field. And so I've got to go and see it. I, I'm going to, I can't be there because I have to travel. I have to go away. The second one said, well, I've bought ten oxen. I'm a farmer. And so I need to try these oxen out. I need to make sure that they're ready to go before the warranty runs out. It's kind of like a farmer who just bought a new John Deere. You want to go out in the field and try out that tractor. And so he essentially said, well, I can't come because I, I have to work. Third one said, well, I, I can't come because I just got married. So I, I can't come. Certainly you understand that I can't be there. I have family obligations. Each reason was a good reason, but each excuse was a good reason to miss out on the best. With each excuse, even though it was good, they were missing out on that which is best. They were choosing the temporary over the eternal. They were choosing the physical growth, the physical world, over the spiritual world. Most of our lives are spent doing those things that we just have to do. You don't really have much choice in it. For example, you need about seven to nine hours of sleep each night. Now, I realize some of you don't get that much sleep and So you try to catch up on it whenever you come to church, like right now. But you need about seven to nine hours of sleep each night. So if you get that, that means basically in 2017, you were asleep from January through April. You just slept through those months. And then most of us, we have to work or we have to go to school or we have some type of work responsibility that we we have to do. And let's say you spend 45 hours a week doing that. Well, you just lost May, June, and July. They're all gone because of things that you just 
have to do. You have responsibilities. Well, let's say you drive, and you drive about 12,000 miles a year. Well, there went August, and we're thankful that, that you shower. Everybody in this room is thankful that you shower and that you wear clothes. Somebody asked me one time, Lash, what's the dress code around the church? Well, you wear clothes, okay? You need to make sure that you wear clothes when you come to church and use some common sense as to what you wear because it is church. So I'm glad that you shower and that you wear clothes, but the time that you take with that, you pretty well just lost September. And so in our time management, it's October, and we haven't even, we haven't even eaten. We haven't even cooked any meals. We haven't even cleaned the house. Now you know, by the way, why the house is always dirty, don't you? You haven't done any dishes. You haven't done the laundry. You haven't paid the bills. You haven't repaired the house. There's always something around the house that needs repaired. You haven't mowed the lawn. All those things take time, and it ultimately leads, leaves us with a sliver of time. Let's say December, about one-twelfth of the year. We have to choose. Choose to do something. To choose to do something that is worthwhile. What's more, the great impact of your life will usually be determined by what you choose to do with that sliver of time. What you say yes to, what you say no to. How many of you would love to have more time? Okay. How many would, would love to have more time for the things that really matter in life? Okay. Well, I'm going to give you one way to free up a lot of time in your life. Say no. Learn to say the word no. Specifically, learn to say no to those things that don't really matter. We, we don't realize this, but every time you say yes to something, you're also saying no to something. Yeah, I'm going to go do that. Well, every time you say, yeah, I'm going to go do this, then you're also saying no to something else. Yes and no. And a lot of times the things that we say yes to, it's not bad stuff. We say yes to good things, but Inadvertently, while we're saying yes to those good things, we're also saying no sometimes to the very best things. This is one of the big reasons why you probably don't pray very much. I mean, really pray. It's one of the big reasons why you probably don't spend much time reading your Bible. You know you need to. And you want to, but you probably don't. It's one of the big reasons why you're not here as much as you'd like to be. Why there's no time to volunteer. Why it doesn't seem like there's extra money for generosity. Why when there's activities that you think that would be good to go to, but you can't because there's just no time. Because so often whenever we say yes to something, we don't realize that we're also saying no to something else. And we say yes to good things, but we're not saying yes to the best things. It's the reason why you don't have a date night. It's the reason why your kids and your spouse's love tank is perpetually low. It's the reason why 
you neglect your health. You haven't really laughed in weeks. Your kids don't really remember the last time they saw you really smile and chuckle. Because we say yes to these things and we get so busy that we inadvertently are saying no to those things that are the absolutely most important things in life. We have to learn to say no to some things, even some good things, so that we may say yes to those things which really matter, those things that are eternal, those things which are of true spiritual significance. Let me give you a couple things that you need to learn to say no to. Number one, time trashers. Time trashers are people who dump their garbage on your time. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to care. We, we need to be caring people. We need to be loving people. We need to get beyond ourselves to reach out to others. But let's be honest, there's some people in life, they're just drama queens. I mean, they are always full of drama. And you talk to them today, and they're full of drama, and you could pause the conversation and come back to their life 20 years from now, and they're still going to be drama-full. I mean, there's, it's just, just who they are. And so, you know, you can engage in the conversation, and you can help it, but you're not going to solve it. You're just kind of just, you're, you're, they, frequently, here's what they'll do. They'll use the crisis of the day to control you by dumping their garbage on your time. Now, I try to tell Christian people this. It's not ungodly for you to have some boundaries in your life. It's not ungodly for you to say sometimes, no. No, I, I don't want to go down this road of conversation. No, I, I can't do that. No, th- this, isn't, this isn't how I need to spend my time right now. It's okay to have some godly boundaries that you build into your life because there's time trashers out there that want to take away all your life. There's also a lot of time wasters. Those things in life that distract us from the greater yeses. There's a lot of time wasters out there. Let me just pick on technology today. I I enjoy technology. I have an iPad up here right now. I have cell phone. I you know, I have televisions and all those kind of things like that. So I, I'm, I'm not against technology, but we need to realize that sometimes technology can just drain our time. So we can't say yes to the things we really want to because we're so consumed with technology. We now have Netflix binges. You all know what a Netflix binge is? Yeah. You, you find some show that you've never seen before, and you watch it on Netflix, and you go, I like that show. And then you realize there were like seven seasons of it. And so you've got to watch all seven seasons in a week, right? And so you're no good to anybody for that week because you're stuck watching this show over and over and over again. And, and it's a Netflix binge. We, 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 uh, we, we have a social media obsession. There's nothing wrong with Facebook, Twitter, and all those kind of things. But you don't live in social media. You watch folks these days and literally can't eat a meal without our phones being on the table. And we're losing the art of being able to communicate in real time. I heard a TED Talk the other day where they were talking about the effect of technology on us, and there was a quote from an 18-year-old young man that said, one of these days, not today, I want to learn how to have a conversation. 
<laughs> and because all this conversation was literally technology-driven, that he was scared to have a real-time conversation with someone. Is there anything wrong with technology? No. But it requires a lot of wisdom to know how to use it well. Use technology in a way that gives you more time. Use technology in a way that increases your influence, that advances the gospel. One of the things that I'm excited about when it comes to technology is through some of the connectivity that we have now, the church has an unprecedented opportunity to share the gospel globally like never before. If you use it wisely, if you use it with purpose, you can use technology in ways that advances the gospel But technology does not need to be allowed to consume us, to waste our time, and to keep us from the people that we really love and the things that really matter. Just a suggestion. Sometimes try a technology fast. Good thing for the entire family to do sometimes. Just say, you know what? This Saturday, we're not going to have any technology. I know, you'll hear weeping and gnashing of teeth, and, and once that's over, you might actually have a conversation with one another, but uh, try having a technology fast. That's not in the Bible, but if the Bible were written today, I bet it would be, you know. <laughs> Sometimes that's needed. Well, in the parable, the people with excuses were successful people. The people with excuses were buying land. They were working land. They were making money. The people with excuses, they had just gotten married. They were enjoying family. They were so successful at being busy that they didn't have time for God. Now, they intended to, and they had even said that they would. They said, yeah, we're coming to the banquet. They were probably even willing to bring dessert. They wanted to, they had good intentions, but in the end, when the banquet was ready and the servant went out to say, you guys come on down to the house, it's time to eat, they were too busy. And their excuses and their activity kept them from doing that which was best. And so the slave, verse 21, came back and reported these things to his master. And then in anger, the master of the house told his slave, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the slave said, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. I'll never forget the people of Acuna, Mexico. I spent Several years, we'd go down there a couple times a year when I was in Austin. We'd go down there a couple times a year and minister to this little colonia in Acuna, Mexico. And the people there lived in houses that were made of shipping crates and cardboard boxes. That was their home. They had very little money, very, very few things. They worked, and then they went home. That's all they did. And so we'd drive down from Austin, and we'd pull up in our pickup trucks, and we had building materials, and, and we would give out soccer balls, and we'd bring snacks for everybody, you know, here's some Cheetos, here's some Doritos. I mean, we, we, it was like we drove in like we had it all, and, and here you go. But what I learned 
is that they had something that we did not. They had time. Because they didn't have all those things to worry about. They, they actually talked to each other. They had family. They had community. When you live in a cardboard home, you don't want to spend much time indoors. And so they would talk to their neighbors. And they had a heart that was tuned into God. And they could hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So one night I was preaching. Preaching in their little church. It was the one building in the entire Colonia that had air conditioning. And that summer night as I preached, the Holy Spirit just began to fill the room with His presence. We were from two different locations. We spoke two different languages, but we had one Lord. And that night the Holy Spirit ministered to our hearts and we experienced a service like I've never experienced before. It was just such a sweet time of fellowship. And then afterwards, they put tables out in the middle of the street and they prepared their finest meal. And we just sat and we ate together and we laughed and we shared joy, true Christian joy with each other. We enjoyed the sweet moments that were brought about through the coming together in worship. The Pharisees assumed that one day things would change. They assumed that they would be at the party. They assumed that the banquet was actually for them. If you don't know the spiritual application here, as Jesus came to the Jewish people, they rejected him, and so he eventually took the gospel to the Gentile people, those that were considered the outcast, and they came and they sat at the table. You see, when the day came, when the kingdom of God was right in front of them, when the Son of God was teaching and, and living right in their midst, they were too busy. And so they made their excuses. And other people came and took their seats. And the banquet went on. I think they assumed that there would be more time. I think they assumed that there would be future invitations, that they would once again be invited to a banquet in the future. So it didn't really matter too much that they missed this one. But in verse 23, the master told the slave, go out into the highways and lanes and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will enjoy my banquet. The spiritual application is that the moment came when it was too late. The invitation was no longer there. The door was closed. You know what? The children are going to grow up. They're going to go out and live their lives. The grandchildren are going to grow up. They're going to live their lives. 
Where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? The church is going to continue to open the Word of God and study it. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to continue to do everything we can to worship and grow and serve our Lord. To live lives that draw people to the cross of Calvary, that make much of our Lord. We're going to continue to meet week after week to set our minds on those things which are eternal. We're going to continue to let the Holy Spirit uh, allow the Word of God to jump off the pages and land into our hearts and to sometimes beat us up and to sometimes encourage us and to challenge us to be the people of God. The church is going to continue to do what the church has been called to do by none other than our Lord Jesus Christ Where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? Life is going to continue to offer you a million things to do and a few things that matter. Where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? Christ may very well continue to invite you to join Him at the table, to be a part of that which lasts, to use the gift that's been given to you, your life, in ways that outlive you, in ways that touch eternity. The invitation's extended. Where are you going to be? Because one day, it'll be too late. Don't waste your life. That's my prayer for you today. My prayer for you today is that you won't waste your life on many things that don't really matter. But instead, give your life to the few things that last forever. Find your seat at the spiritual banquet table. Live in the kingdom. Give yourself to those things which last forever. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as we come to a time of commitment? I enjoy being a pastor to you. And if today God is leading you to make a decision in your life, Perhaps today needs to be your day of salvation. Maybe you need to take that step of faith and be baptized. Perhaps there's something that I may pray with you about. It is always my joy to be a pastor to you. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here after the service as well. And I would love to help you as you desire to grow closer to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads today and we look at this parable. And Lord, I know in my own life it has challenged me. It has challenged me to evaluate some things about how I live. Some ways I want to push away from it because change is always hard. But I also realize, Father, that you love me. that you care. And so when the Word of God challenges us, 
it also grows us. So I pray that you will help us to say yes to those things that really matter and to have the courage and wisdom to say no to those things which do not. Help us, Lord, not to settle for good when you have brought to us the best. Help us, Father, not to live for those things that are merely temporary and to miss out on those things which are eternal. But, Father, may our lives be lived for your glory forever and ever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship. Amen.